Welcome to Scoop with Steve Football. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Scoop with Steve Football. I'm your host, Stephen Clinton. Um, Scoop with Steve Football is my NFL analysis website. Uh, I've got uh, MS in predictive analytics, so I know how to do a bunch of machine learning stuff, and I've developed a predictive model to project NFL game outcomes and fantasy statistics. Uh, it's all informed by my film study. I also have a background as a quality control assistant at uh, Northwestern University and the University of Toledo. So these days I bring it all together with Scuba Steve football. So I'm uh, running through my team-by-team uh, -team preview series as we get closer to the uh, 2021 NFL season. So just, uh, you know, starting to watch some preseason, get, get draw some insights from that, and uh, continue to update my model. Uh, if you're interested in the numbers I'm producing, uh, go to scubastevefootball.com and you can uh, sign up for my 2021 NFL package, which is going to include um, a guide to the NFL as well as some fantasy draft guides, fantasy draft boards and tiers. And you'll also get my weekly updates throughout the season. So all sorts of good stuff in there. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, before I get started here, I should uh, mention what my grade colors are for these different players that I'll be talking about today. Blue is my elite players. Uh, purple is my plus player, so pr pr pretty uh, tight distinction between those two groups, but I do try to, you know, keep blue for the best of the best. My dark green players are solid starters. Uh, light green are adequate starters. You can get by with those guys, but they're not necessarily uh, going to be driving the offense or defense for you. Guys in gray are backups. Uh, Occasionally, I'll have a guy in black during the offseason. That's more of an in-season grade to indicate that that particular player is being victimized in the games I'm watching. And then all my rookies are in orange. You know, I've, I've seen highlight tapes on a few of these guys. Uh, but even if I was, uh, you know, doing full draft breakdowns and everything like that, I would still want to see these guys in an NFL regular season game before I anoint them as, you know, upper-level NFL players. So, uh, yeah, with the Ravens... Uh, Let's go ahead and kick things off on um on offense here. Got Lamar Jackson obviously is the centerpiece of this uh, Baltimore Ravens offense, and uh, you know the quarterback is uh, to say the least a, a, a controversial target, I guess you could say in terms of the quarterback evaluation. Um, a lot of people out there who are not real big on on the possibility that Lamar Jackson will be able to lead a team deep into the NFL playoffs and. Uh, you know, I'll just kind of start with my evaluation of Lamar here. Uh, you know, I, as a rookie, I was very skeptical of Lamar Jackson. I thought that he uh, he just looked like he didn't quite know what to anticipate in the passing game a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, I don't like to say these things about NFL players a whole lot, but there were times where he was kind of running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, that changed dramatically in his second season. I think that when you're evaluating Lamar, you really have to throw that first year out because his game was just so different in that second year. He uh, was in a scheme that was much more tailored to the things he likes to do. And then in year three last year, I thought it was really interesting because they tried to expand the passing game with Lamar, but they did it in a way that was really disconnected from all the incredible things they do with their option run game. 
And, you know, I think that the, the best thing to do with Lamar is to tie those two things together because you can create so much hesitation with everything they do in the option game, in the zone read game. Um, you know, they do such a good job of, you know, whether it's using three tight ends, which was a prominent formation for them two years ago, or getting, you know, Patrick Ricard, who, I mean, in motion, that dude is as scary a fullback in the league as you're going to see. You don't want that guy coming at you with speed if you're a defender. Um and it looks like Greg Roman and the offensive staff in Baltimore are going to take steps in that direction by getting Lamar under center and using some of the Shanahan system concepts, you know, some of their stretch zone and then the boot that comes off that stretch zone. I think this makes a ton of sense. Um, to me, Lamar is... It's not that he can't physically throw the ball. I think he's actually a, a pretty talented thrower to, to certain areas of the field. There, you know, he um, maybe the deep sideline, some of those routes aren't, aren't his forte. But I mean, up the seam, everything like that. I think this guy can really spin it. It's more that when he's not clear on what he's seeing, and and he's not a great processor from the pocket at this point in his career you know you can just think about it I mean it's hard enough to throw the ball on an NFL field I, I can't imagine trying to do it so if you think about having hesitation in your mind about where you're supposed to throw the ball you know whether or not you can do it physically kind of goes out the window at that point because you're just not decisive with where you're going with the ball and the, the, those uh, boot options off the Shanahan scheme uh, present very clear pictures for the quarterback. Uh, great episode of the Ross Tucker football podcast. He had Sage Rosenfels on, a uh, former NFL quarterback who played, uh, I believe, under Kyle Shanahan with the Houston Texans. And he just, you know, went into so much detail on how clearly defined everything is in the Shanahan system when you're coming off those boots. I think that Lamar's really going to benefit from that in his, um, in this upcoming season. I think that they've got a uh, a receiver in Marquise Brown who definitely has the speed to run some of the, the stretch routes, the over routes, the crossers that, that are called for in conjunction with, uh, with those uh, Shanahan boots. And I think it's going to give Lamar a chance to get out on the edge attack the passing game in, in a different way and just uh, continue to expand what this Baltimore Ravens team does on, on offense. Uh, at the same time, I'm excited to see them double down a little bit on what they do in the run game. And, uh, you know, the, they ran it just fine last year, but at the same time, they've doubled down on the offensive line this offseason. And uh, you talk about one big, big offensive line. It, it looks as if rookie Ben Cleveland, their third-round pick, is penciled in as the starting left guard. Massive body right there to go along with Bradley Bozeman, who was last year's left guard. He's going to shift to center. Another really big body who's been a good player for this team in the past. They sign uh, Big Al Villanueva over from the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, I mean, it was <laughs> always funny to me when uh, Big Al took over for uh, for uh, Kelvin Beecham was the uh, Steelers' left tackle. And, and Kelvin's kind of the smallest you could probably possibly be dimensions-wise to get by a tackle in the NFL. And then you go to, to Alejandro Villanueva, who's like, you know, 6'9". So certainly not a small man. Uh, bring over Kevin Zeitler from the New York Giants, who I think has just continued to play at a high level. Um, has been a Bengal, a Brown, a Giant, and now a Raven. I expect him to, you know, do a great job in this offense. And, uh, you know, the stud of the group that they're getting back is Ronnie Stanley, who, I mean, you talk about... 
how you would draw it up at left tackle. I mean, the dude is light on his feet. He's just, you know, patient in pass protection. He's, um, you know, a powerful man in the run game. He can do everything you want him to. So, you know, Orlando Brown did a fine job when he kicked over to left tackle last year and filled in for Ronnie Stanley. But, uh, Ronnie Stanley is on a different level, in my opinion. So they also are going to have some nice depth along the offensive line this upcoming season because, you know, Tyree Phillips is a guy who, you know, I think played, you know, fairly well for them at both right guard and right tackle. Now there's a reason that that they're looking to replace him in the starting lineup. But, you know, it's not like this guy was getting worked over by any means. I had anticipated he would be the starting left guard going into camp, but it looks like that's going to be Ben Cleveland. And then they've also still got Patrick McCarty in the fold, who I thought played just fine when he took over for Matt Skura as the Ravens' starting center during last season. So good depth, great starting group, and uh, life should be good for uh, J.K. Dobbins in his second year. I think there's a chance that he takes it, Yeah, I mean, puts together just a a phenomenal year. He's so explosive through the hole. And in this offense, with all the hesitation created by what Lamar's doing in the backfield with all the play fakes, there are lanes there to gash. And Dobbins is the guy who, instead of, you know, ripping off a 15 or 20-yard game, he might take it to the house from 80. At the same time, they've still got a great compliment in Gus Edwards, who, you know, good old Gus the boss. I love watching him run. I mean, it's so simple what he's going to do. You know, he is going straight ahead all the time. And I mean, the dude's been averaging great averages up near five yards a carry with Lamar at quarterback. You know, Gus sort of emerged when Lamar was a rookie and came in and, and was a part of this, you know, zone read option based running attack. And he's, you know, just continued to be a really good player for them. You know, he, he's a guy who... You know, I don't know if you would go sign him up to play in a lot of offenses because he is a one-dimensional runner. But in this offense, with Lamar presenting the threat to take it to the outside, Gus doesn't really need to bounce anything. He can just be a really physical presence and throw the defense off balance. I mentioned Patrick Ricard earlier. I mean, he is just an absolute monster, particularly off motion. Uh, Mark Andrews is one of the game's better receiving tight ends. Great fit with Lamar. Uh, with you know, one of Lamar's best throws is the seam route up the middle. Mark Andrews runs the seam as well as any tight end in football. Uh, save maybe a Travis Kelsey type, and we'll see what we get from Kyle Pitts. I should not neglect Darren Waller's name there either. But you know, Andrews is, is an upper tier guy as a receiver. They should get Nick Boyle back from last year's injury. Boyle's a huge part of what they do. He's one of the better blocking tight ends in the NFL. He can do it on the move. He can do it in line. So a lot he can do there. I'm also excited to see if Josh Oliver, um, who was, you know, a, a notable draft pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars a few years ago, can get his career on track in Baltimore. You know, he, he really never even got on the field down in Jacksonville, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Josh. Uh, he, he couldn't be in a more tight end friendly scheme moving forward. Out at receiver, uh, as I say, I think Marquise Brown um, is going to run certain routes off that Shanahan concept um, very well, particularly the crossing routes. I've also, you know, I guess I've been confused and will be interested to see if they get Marquise involved in the run game with some jet sweeps and stuff like that. 
you know, not that they don't do enough in this run game already, but they're, that's an area that, you know, there's a lot of teams in the NFL that are employing the wide receiver as a run threat. You know, San Francisco 49ers probably are at the top of the list with what they've done with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. You can point to the Cleveland Browns and some of the stuff they've done with Jarvis Landry or, you know, A.J. Brown has taken some carries for the Titans. That's a dimension that the, the Ravens haven't tapped into, and I'm not quite sure why, because they could definitely add even more hesitation, even more, you know, potential to get things out the back door if you get Marquise some handoffs. So be interesting to see how he gets his touches this year. Uh, you got Sammy Watkins in the fold now. Um, you know, Sammy's a guy who, when he is able to play, he is a physical and explosive receiver. Uh, you know, with, with with Sammy, it's it's been the health issues. Um, we'll see if he can he can be on the field consistently. If he if he can, I think it's going to be a big boost for the offense. And then, of course, added Rashad Bateman at the end of the first round there at the wide receiver position. Uh, he's down with a, a soft tissue injury for the time being. Um, so it might be a little bit of time before he can uh, help them out, but hopefully that gives him a boost. And, you know, we'll see. Devin DuVernay, to me, profiles as sort of a short area slot target, I guess you could say. Um, the, the way I stack up backup receivers is they just go on the right side uh, behind the starter. And then uh, Miles Boykin is a big body guy who, you know, he's been able to catch some touchdowns over the past few years, but he's more just sort of picking up some some touchdowns down in the red zone. He hasn't been particularly effective. But as a whole, I expect this offense to just keep right on rolling along. I expect their running backs to continue to top five yards of carry, which is just an absurd number to be consistently topping, but with the threat that Lamar Jackson poses, um, you know, it, it's hard not to say that they'll continue to do that. And, you know, in, in terms of Lamar's grade going into the season, I've got him back as a blue player, which is uh, where he was back in 2019. And I'd say where he finished 2020, you know, I, I felt like uh, the, after the, his absence due to COVID, when he came back in the Dallas Cowboys game, that this team really recommitted to running the ball the way they had throughout the season. I thought the first half of the season, they were kind of waiting until they were in trouble. And then they would go to that when they realized that whatever, you know, I call it, you know, very generally kind of an almost an empty air raid that they were trying to expand the passing game with. And it just wasn't working. But when they would go back to the run game, that still worked. And I think that they'll hit the ground running with that this year. Flipping over to the defense, you know, this is, this is a defensive unit that has just continued to put up great results year over year. It was the driving force behind the Ravens being so good during the Mars rookie year. And while the offense is now uh, pulling its weight, um, to, to a higher degree, this is still a defense that could be outstanding. Um, there's definitely going to be turnover here. They uh, moved on from, you know, very notable name in Matthew Judon. But this uh, this management team of uh, Eric DaCosta as the GM now and Ozzie Newsome supporting him, it used to be flipped for a long time. But they're as good as anyone at finding edge rushers and productive pass rushers. And the fact that they drafted um, Jason Adafi away um, out of Penn State, uh, I believe he went by Jason in college. He's going to be going by Adafi in the pros. So my apologies if I'm not up to date on that. You know, he was such an interesting draft profile to me because everybody fixated on the fact that he didn't have any sacks in his final year of college. Well, 
you know, that's, that's all well and good. And that would be a big concern to me if, if that was the story of his career, but it's not. He put up sacks the year before, and then this past year, the season was cut short. And if you study pass rushers over time, they're much less consistent than offensive linemen. ESPN's done some really cool work just in their uh, pass block win rates, uh, figuring this out. And, you know, you see it all the time where, where a pass rusher will go on a four game or a five game or, you know, maybe an, even an eight game tear. But you very rarely see guys do it for 16 games. So, you know, all reports were that Away was continuing to put up pressures at Penn State. He just wasn't hitting home on the sacks. And, you know, that, that's a counting statistic that is a very situational thing. Uh, it's difficult to get sacks if you're not in the right position as a defense in terms of getting into third and longs, those types of things. So, you know, I haven't studied it in depth, but, you know, when they talk about his freaky athleticism, when you add in the fact that he did have sack production the year before, and then the feather in the cap is this regime drafting him, I think Jason Away could have a really big year here. Um, they've also got Jalen Ferguson as an edge rusher, who I think has been a very solid player in his first couple of years in the league here. Reminds me a little bit, um, not so much in play style, but just in terms of role of Harold Landry over in Tennessee, where I think he's maybe a little bit stretched as your number two edge rusher. Um, really good player as your number three edge rusher in the rotation, though. They've also signed Justin Houston, who was still a productive player for the Indianapolis Colts last year. And then they've got Tyus Bowser, who's a, a rising player. Bowser's a guy who he's a little bit undersized to me on the edge. He is quick, everything like that. I'll be interested to see what kind of role he can take. And then Pernell McPhee, I mean, the guy, he's definitely a rotation player these days, but, you know, he was fairly productive last year after, you know, uh, a disappointing stretch with the Chicago Bears there on that big contract they signed him to. But, you know, he got back in Baltimore and that seems to be a solve for him. Up front, you've got uh, Calais Campbell, who, you know, we'll see. He's, it sounds like he's going into his final year here. I've still got the dude as a blue player. I think he's been the most physically dominant defensive lineman in the NFL for maybe a decade now. I thought that back when J.J. Watt was at his peak, I thought Calais Campbell was every bit as good a player as J.J. He just played really differently, though, because J.J. would shoot gaps to get into the backfield. Calais always plays through the offensive lineman, and he's just a massive human being who can do that and be extremely effective. When he and uh, the next guy I'll get to, Brandon Williams, were down for a stretch last year, what with COVID and some injury issues, this Ravens defense was not what it was, and as soon as they were back, it, it changed things. Uh, the, the aforementioned Brandon Williams, massive player, massive presence at nose tackle who can generate some rush up the middle. And then Derek Wolf, the third player on this three-man line, I thought had something of a revival in his first year in Baltimore after um, his time in Denver. You know, Derek was part of that group with Malik Jackson, Vaughn Miller, and Marcus Ware that helped lead the Broncos to the Super Bowl. Unfortunately, he's had a lot of injury issues throughout his career, but, uh, you know, he was an impact player for the Ravens next, last year, and I think he'll he'll play well again this year. We'll kind of see what some of the depth pieces, such as Justin Mabobuke and Broderick Washington can do this year, but I love the starters there. At inside linebacker, um, you know, it's preseason film, but I thought Patrick Queen was playing, playing fast in, in that first Ravens preseason game, just checking him out. 
Um, you know, he's a guy who you saw the physical tools. He's not real big, right? So it's essential that he plays with great instincts and great play speed so that he can get himself into position to make the plays he needs to make. If he gets himself to, into position and he's playing faster than the opponent, his size isn't such a big deal. Different position, but a guy who reminds me of this a little bit is Buda Baker out in Arizona. Um, there was a time early in his career that I questioned if Buda was big enough to play in the NFL. Um, but then as his play speed increased, that became a non-factor because he's so good at getting himself to the right spot. I'm really excited to see what Queen does this year. Malik Harrison is a much bigger body who's also entering his second year, a player out of Ohio State. Uh, should pair well with Patrick Queen um, as kind of the base down linebackers if uh, if he continues to develop. And I thought it was a good move to keep LJ Fort in the fold. You know, LJ's uh, more of a journeyman inside linebacker, I think you would say, but he was a steadying presence for this group last year as the two rookies, Queen and Harrison, were growing into their roles. And I think it's a smart insurance policy to keep him in place. On the back end, you've got, you know, one of the arguably best quarter corner tandems in the league you know you can throw in the, the pair for the Patriots you can throw in the Dolphins tandem um you know I don't want to miss anybody but also don't want to spend time listening to them. but Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey are just awesome players in this scheme um the Ravens have allowed Marcus Peters to get back to doing what he he does uh he, he was kind of miscast in the Rams defense in, in my opinion and ever since he's back in Baltimore he can do his thing playing a lot of off coverage as the defensive left corner he's as good a ball hawk as you're going to see in the NFL and then Marlon Humphrey probably my favorite corner in the league to watch there, there's a couple of them who are up there but I mean Marlon Humphrey to me um, him and Jalen Ramsey would be the two guys I would say they are just dogs at corner I mean aggressive physical nasty in your face players Marlon can play anywhere too which is a really valuable trait he'll play that right outside corner spot in their base and then in the nickel he can play in the slot and he can play outside. So he really just works off the strengths of the nickelback. So, you know, when you've got Jimmy Smith in there, who, I mean, Jimmy continues to, to play at a high level when he's on the field. It seems he's always going to have a nagging injury here or there. Um, but he's still a guy who can play press. He can play off. Um, he's been very solid for them when he's been available as the right outside corner. When he's out there, Marlon plays in the slot. When Tavon Young has been healthy to be the nickel corner, and, and Tavon's a very explosive player in the slot, I was so disappointed for him because, you know, he had that scary neck injury two years ago, was only available briefly at the beginning of last season, but he looked great, and then he, you know, injured his knee again. But when he's available, Tavon will play the slot, and Marlon will stay on the outside, which, you know, just adds to the already immense value you get out of Marlon Humphrey. Um, you know, mentioned uh, Jimmy Smith, Tavon Young as potential nickels. Anthony Averett's a guy who I thought played quite well uh, when he was stepping in for Jimmy Smith. He would play that, that right outside corner position in the nickel, and I see him as an ascending player. And then they've just added to their depth there with third-round pick Brandon Stevens and fifth-round pick Sean Wade. So absolutely loaded at the corner spot. 
the back end, you know, Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott, to me, they're not the playmakers in this defense, but they are a very good safety tandem. And, you know, defensive coordinator uh, Don Wink Martindale loves to run a lot of different looks, and that requires great communication, and it requires, you know, a, the, the two safeties to really be in sync in the back end. And, you know, that was, you know, reportedly a big issue with Earl Thomas when he was in the fold and just not really uh, putting in the work to uh, be able to execute all these tactics. But Clark and Deshaun Elliott worked great together last year. Deshaun Elliott's a guy who I've currently got as a light green player. I wouldn't be surprised to see myself putting him in dark green as the season progresses. And then they've also got Anthony Levine, who will come down as their dime linebacker and, and play as an inside linebacker and does a great job with that. You know, there's there's nothing not to like, in my opinion, about this Ravens defense. Uh, the, the, the big question is, is that edge rusher with, with uh, Jason Away being kind of the X factor there to see if they can get, you know, really, uh, you know, an upper, upper tier guy off the edge. But even if they don't, you know, Ferguson, Houston, and Bowser are going to be able to do enough. And Martindale is going to scheme up opportunities for them. So I think that, you know, no reason to expect that this Ravens defense won't continue to be very good entering this season. Overall, you know, this Ravens team under John Harbaugh has been you know, really good throughout his tenure. And I think they're really good on both sides of the ball, which is why they're going to be a team that finishes very high in my uh, projections for the 2021 season, because they can just do it on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, a lot of questions about whether or not Lamar Jackson, well, first it was whether, you know, he could ever win a game in the playoffs and he, he took care of that discussion. And then it's whether he can, you know, get a team deep into the playoffs and continue to beat them. I think these narratives can get a little bit overblown. Um, you know, obviously, absolute disaster when he throws that 100-yard pick six to Teron Johnson against the Bills in the playoffs. And it, But at the same time, you know, let's just imagine a world where the Ravens score right there. Well, then it's a tie ball game, and the Bills get the ball back, maybe – Lamar Jackson doesn't get knocked out of the game, which is what ended up happening. And then, you know, we're, we're just back to the unknown. So, you know, this is a team where we've only seen two teams try to win like this in the playoffs. And, and, and those are the last two iterations of the Baltimore Ravens. As I say, I kind of throw out that first year with Lamar because he wasn't um, as evolved a player as he is now. So we've got a very small sample size of teams trying to win with this style in the playoffs. And I think it's um, a little bit premature to, to say that they just can't win with this style in the playoffs because they sure are doing a great job of winning games in the regular season. So Baltimore is a team I always love to throw the film on for, and I'm super excited to see what they do in the upcoming season. Uh, to check out more of my content, uh, you can check me out over at Beer Life Sports, where uh, I do my work under the name The Professor. And of course, you can always check out all my content at scubastefootball.com. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning into the show. Uh, if you can, uh, you know, subscribe, if you're watching on YouTube, if you can like the video, that's always a positive, obviously. And uh, yeah, until next time, folks, hope everyone has an awesome day and that you enjoyed this video.